Hey friends, welcome back to another episode of Deeper Still, where we carve out space to have meaningful conversations about God and life and ask where He might be calling us to go deeper still in relationship with Him, with others, and the world around us. My name is Sue Ann Camfield, and I have the joy of being the host of this podcast. I'm just so glad you chose to join us today. I have to tell you, I have to confess, I'm so excited today because we are recording this episode on the same day as the official launch of season four of Deeper Still. Hopefully you saw that on Instagram or Facebook, or better yet, hopefully you subscribe to Deeper Still on your favorite podcast platform so you get notified every time a new episode drops. Fun story, true story. Shout out to my friend Stacy. I had lunch with her yesterday and I had literally pushed publish on season four, episode one, so that it would upload into all of our platforms. I walked out of my office, I got into Stacy's car, and she said, Oh, you dropped a new episode of Deeper Still. I can't wait to listen to it. I've been waiting for this. And I was so excited because technology works. So that was super exciting and my way of saying if you haven't yet subscribed to Deeper Still on your favorite podcast platform, just do it. Not only will you not miss a thing, like my interview on episode one with author and pastor Sharon Hottie Miller on her new book, The Cost of Control, which is amazing, amazing book. She is amazing. It was such a fabulous conversation. You will not want to miss that. But subscribing to Deeper Still will also help us build our audience and let more people know about this podcast. So if you could help out in that way, I would so appreciate it. All right, enough of all that, because we have a great conversation I want to get us on to today. Many of you know I record Deeper Still in partnership with my local church, which is Christ Church, located in the western suburbs of Chicago, where I also serve on staff. And one of the things we always want to do here at Deeper Still is we want to engage the scriptures and we want to connect it to our local context. So while we will continue to expand and engage new audiences, that will always be core to who we are. And so Christ Church happens to be in the middle of a sermon series on the book of Kings, and we're specifically talking about the story of Elijah. And it has just stirred some great things in me. I know it stirred some great things in some of the people around me, and there's some great conversations points out of this sermon series, and so I thought we could take a deeper dive into that today. So to do that, I invited two of my favorite people in the whole world to the studio. Both of them have been guests on Deeper Still in the past. One of them has been a regular on the show. Sometimes I refer to her as my co-host because she's here so much, and she's helped me so much, and that is my friend, the wise and wonderful self-taught Bible extraordinaire, Chris Stevenson. And the other is my good friend and ministry partner, a colleague here at Christ Church who serves on our staff as our creative arts producer. He will deny it, but he's literally everyone's favorite staff member. He is the one, the only Aaron Foster. And so friends, whatever you're doing today, wherever you find yourself, saddle up, settle in, maybe grab your AirPods if you need them, go for a walk, grab a cup of coffee, but listen in as Chris, Aaron, and I go deeper still. Well, hey, friends. Hi. Hey there. Hey. Thanks. Thanks for, uh, we just did about eight takes of that um, intro that uh, we'll get the right one down. So thanks for bearing with me on that. Uh, how are you guys doing today? Pretty good. It wasn't raining when I came in. It'll probably be raining when I go out. And then it'll magically just be fall and stay fall for the next six Week. months. <laughs> <laughs> 
question for six months, Aaron. I would hope. Six yeah. months of fall in Chicago. Could that, oh, could that be? It would be the most beautiful thing ever, wouldn't it? Be unreal. I'm yeah. just saying. I'm not a big rain person. Well, no. Um, but I'm a big so, fall person. Yeah, oh, me too. But today's... Today will be brightened by this conversation. <laughs> good save, good save. <laughs> well, Chris, uh, like I mentioned, you've been here uh, many times. I so appreciate you, and so welcome back. Um, I'm going to put Aaron on the spot for a minute because Aaron, oh, you weren't joking when you said no. That I actually wasn't that. joking. I, was I pre-warned you. All That's right. right. I pre-warned you. Uh, last time you were here, I was thinking you were. I think we were going through the Book of James when you were my guest, and uh, you were still our high school ministry director here at the church at the time. I think Kara was pregnant with your first child and you were just like having some inklings of being ordained. And I feel like now all of those things are, have either come to fruition, have passed, have changed, um, or are about to. This is true. Yeah. Yeah. A lot lot has um, changed since you invited me onto your podcast last, which is either an indictment of how much has changed in life or how poorly I performed on your podcast. So... (laughs) We'll let the audience be the judge there. It's definitely the first of those two. <laughs> You've transitioned from our high school ministry to our creative arts producer, which has been such a gift to have you just exercising your gifts in new ways here in the life of the church. I know you're deeply missed uh, in our student ministry, but you are not far away from our student ministry because you and Chris went to uh, Tijuana together this summer. So uh, you're awesome. still involved in so many things. Yeah, how was how was that for you? I mean... I couldn't go to Tijuana without Aaron Foster is right. what I've decided. It's our <laughs> semi-annual, biannual? Biannual. Biannual trip, trip to Tijuana, yeah. Mexico together. Across the border. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. There's always an adventure involved. That's awesome. Um, and Aaron, you've had a baby. Eloise I is have. now. Yeah. 18 months as of last week. Months. So it's crazy. crazy. Yeah. It's crazy. She's running all around the house. Yesterday She's she a fell. toddler. She is a toddler. She is toddling. Full on toddling. She... I got home yesterday she had a big old fat lip um because she fell in the middle Aww. of the in the kitchen um but she's great learning words she strung four words together this morning more milk dada please was what she said that's amazing um, what a well-mannered young lady yeah yeah she added the please a little late but i'm still counting it as four <laughs> and not three so that's amazing we love eloise around here it's so been, it's been so good to just see her as a uh, a little part of the life of yeah, our church and yeah, to see you thanks. and Kara live into that. So congratulations from like 18 months ago when I had you here. And I was Thank like, oh, you. you have to show pictures yeah, of your baby. Yeah, it's crazy that we haven't spoken since then. So. <laughs> Never. We haven't said a word to each other since then. But the other thing, the thing I'm really excited about that I do want people to know about is um, you and our friend Steve Noble are mm-hmm. being ordained yeah. in the life of the church on November 13th. That's and right. so uh, friends, you heard it here. Uh, that's new news, maybe for some of you, but we're super excited about that. Yeah, so thank I just you. Say congratulations. Thank you. Yeah, we're very excited. Um, excited to to celebrate that with with the church family here. So yeah. yeah, what does that look like? So there's a service on the 13th. Yeah, there will be a service um, on the 13th tentatively, um, and that more I would imagine more information details will come out on that sometime in the afternoon. I'm still nailing some of that down, but it'll be a full ordination service where. Um, Steve and myself will be ordained and installed as um, official pastors of Christ Church. It's so exciting. Yeah. It's so exciting. My little guys are all growing up. (laughs) (laughs) What people may not know who are listening is Chris has been in student ministry now. How long have you been serving in student ministry? Not as long as it it seems like. That didn't sound right. Um, People think it's longer than it is because I've had 
kids in children Mm -hmm. in the ministry, but I think I started when Grace was a junior, which would put me at like the six year mark, like really as a, like an official volunteer, but I kind of have been, I've wandered around the family ministry office probably for the last 12 years. (laughs) (laughs) It's where I want to belong. It's a good place. It is a good place to be. We've all been able to be encouraged and be part of that ministry. So that's right. Anyway, we are just procrastinating now on our conversation that we are about to have that we are going to dive in today, like I said in the introduction, um, to a conversation about the sermon series that we have been having over these last uh, four or five weeks on the book of Kings. And one of the reasons we wanted to do this is because I think it's a good model for people to, uh, number one, we want people to know about the sermon series. We want our people to know what we are preaching on, what we're digging into, but I also think it's a good model, a good deeper still model of what it looks like when we are hearing messages, when we're sitting with the word, when we're interacting with other people, what it looks like to actually let the word of God transform us, to let what we're hearing on Sunday mornings have an impact on our lives. And so we're going to dive into this conversation today about how this sermon series over the last five weeks has kind of hit us. And hopefully people listening will maybe uh, resonate with some of what uh, we are going to share. Maybe they've been convicted and challenged and encouraged in the same ways, or maybe they have some questions that we're going to be able to help them wrestle through with a little bit. And so, Chris, one of the things that you and I have done in our history of Deeper Still, when every time we go into a book of the Bible or we talk about Scripture, we we take a minute and are able to step back and say, where are we at in the bigger picture? And so for those listening out there, and I would I would put myself in this category that needs help with this, to just take a minute and orient ourselves in the book of First and Second Kings and the piece of history and the piece of the biblical narrative that this is. Um, why don't you help us with that? What What is going on here in the book of First and Second Kings that we need to know about before we dive into some of the other topics? Okay, I'll, Just I'll, off the top of your head. Just <laughs> off the top of my head. I'll, I'll do my best with the giant caveat that I am like the opposite of an Old Testament scholar. But I guess that's a good place to start because I don't want to assume that everybody knows that we're talking about the Old Testament. So we are we're pre, pre-Jesus here. Um, most biblical scholars agree that this... This chunk of First and Second Kings, which are the two books that we're we're covering in this sermon series, um, cover about a four hundred ish span of time. We think from about one thousand BC to about five hundred and sixty sixty one BC. And it's important to note that we're also at the point in time where there's a lot of extra biblical, non-religious um, accounts that are that are corroborating the different kings, the different battles and things that we are reading in first and second kings just as there are for most of the biblical narrative so that's always an encouragement to me just of of how true god's word is not that we need it to be validated from the outside world but we we can which is just awesome proof that god is true i think it's also was important for me to be reminded when i was doing just a little bit of research that when we look at the old testament People divide it up into things like the, you know, the books of of history and the things like the Psalms and Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, which are like the wisdom and and musical literature. First and Second Kings actually falls into a group of books that are known as the former prophets, and that was 
a little bit of a surprising reminder to me because when we're talking about this, we're talking so much about events that it is, it, it's tempting to think of it as a history and it certainly is historical. We are talking about real kings and real people, but the role of these books isn't really to tell us the sake of the history for the sake of the history. It's to see God speaking in to the life of the nations of Israel and Judah because at this point, God's people are falling apart, mm. <laughs> and they they aren't even one nation anymore. So that was a really good reminder to me, um, and that in fact, some of the like it's true in a lot of the the Old Testament books. Some of the divisions are a little bit um, not artificial, but new to us. So a lot of people think that First and Second Kings were probably you know not divided up into two books, and that's not really important for what we're talking about here, but I think that idea of, of looking at it as a book of prophecy, so mm-hmm. God speaking into the lives of his people is really important. And then I think the other thing is to put it into the, the full thread of scripture, the full story. You know, we've started off with a God who created people because he wanted to be in community with them. And from the very beginning, they they sinned they fell apart and couldn't hold up to his standard and so he had a plan and he moves them out of the garden and you know we have story after story noah building the ark because the people around it couldn't follow god's plan and god was speaking truth this is what i'm asking for abraham calling a distinct nation to be a people of god and isaac and jacob and we just keep going through and through and we watch god call these people to himself and ask the the thing he asks above all is that he be their one God. Mm-hmm. And so much so that when we get Moses on top of the mountain getting the, receiving the Ten Commandments from God, the first and foremost commandment is to have God as one God and one God alone. And by the time we get to First and Second Kings, it's becoming increasingly apparent that these people, we people, are hard-hearted people. Mm-hmm. And we have a really hard time having God as our one and only God. And so... What we've been talking about really for the last five weeks is when, when we don't do that, when the people of Israel didn't do that, what does God do? In his love and his graciousness, he sends prophets to speak that truth back into the life of the people. And it looks different at different times and spaces. Um, but right now we're looking at Elijah who's saying, don't you remember who the one true God is? good stuff that's a good setup Aaron do you have anything you want to add to that no I just um, I I love that um, framing framing these books as prophecy um, and as you you know listen through the sermon series it, it really is um, y- you know we're working through it in a way that holds us accountable um, to some of these real you know real issues or or situations of faith that we're experiencing now that we're um, evidenced in in these stories, um, and so we're we're facing still the same the same issues and mm. the same um, pitfalls and the same uh, you know patterns of sin in our lives. Or I will speak for myself. I'm facing these same patterns of sin in my life um, as as the the characters in the in the stories were, um, and and so being um, open to the Lord moving through Elijah in my life. Um, is is so powerful in, in that prophetic and, and um, account of holding me to account of, to account um, way. So yeah, yeah, that's so helpful because I do think that's one of the things we can so often miss in this story is that one of the reasons God puts um, this story together and the story of kings in the Bible is one of the things that we can learn about it is that 
we all have limitations, right? Every, and we're going to talk about leadership today. Uh, Dan d- has done a really great job of focusing on leadership and people who have places of influence and power and how they use that influence and power in their lives. And I think even though we may, or people listening, depending on how they consider themselves, what their power is or what their influence is, I know those are really strong words, but the truth is we all have influence in some form in our lives. And so as we look at the kings, and the interesting thing about the kings, if you know a little bit about the biblical history, is most of the kings got it wrong. So there were dozens and dozens, I think 50-some kings during this time, and eight of them uh, would have gotten it right by history standard or by God's standard. And Hezekiah and David, only two of them were actually considered to be people after God's own heart, uh, God's character. And so you can see that we are all in the company of these kings and these leaders, even though they weren't following after God. But the, as Aaron, you just said, the pitfalls they fell into, their limitations. Like This is such a book to remind us in the sermon series to remind us that We are people, we are limited, fallen, broken human beings who are going to mess up. And so we don't want to shy away from seeing ourselves in the eyes of the kings because it teaches us something about the nature of sin. And at the same time, like Chris said, this this idea of prophecy where then you have Elijah coming in and the prophets, all of them during this time, to call people back to God, Mm -hmm. to call people back to his word, to call people back to the covenant and to say, who are you really worshiping here? Well, and I love, again, keeping in mind with that, none of these kings and none of us can get it fully right. And so part of what this story also shows us time and time again, even those very best kings, even Mm -hmm. David, the man after God's own heart, was so incredibly sinful and broken. And so they also keep pointing us forward to the one true king, the only one who could ever get it perfectly right, who is Jesus. And so as we work through all these and see how human kings always have and always will ultimately fail and disappoint in, in at least some measure, um, where do you put your your full hope and your full trust? And that's in the one, the one true king who is Jesus. Mm-hmm. It's also a great reminder that all of Scripture points to the redemption Mm -hmm. that Jesus brings. All of Scripture eventually winds us up with Jesus being king. I love love that. And I love being able to pull that that thread through this. Because if you just sit and and take 1 and 2 Kings on its own, if you just jumped in at the start, which for the record starts with the death of King David, Mm -hmm. the, the man after God's own heart. Like God had said to them, you know... I, I really want to be your God. I don't really think you need human kings. And the people are like, give us a king, give us a king. And so he's like, all right, here you go. But it starts with the death of who was going to be only one of the only truly good kings. And then the, at the end of Second Kings, these people are exiled. They're scattered. They're sent off. They're not even autonomous anymore. And so standing alone, these two books, with the exception of a few little glimmers of brightness in there, are pretty dismal if you take them out of that big thread mm. and that big narrative of pointing to Jesus. So thanks be to God, we have we have a fuller picture. Yeah, that's really good. Yeah, it's good stuff. Um, well, let's go ahead and dive into some of the specific topics that uh, our amazing preachers and teachers have been covering throughout this sermon series. 
And I said to you guys before we started today, we kind of have an outline, but I imagine we're going to be jumping around and, and just sharing what is coming to our minds and our hearts as we kind of go through this. So for our listeners, just bear with us as we just have an authentic conversation about what this uh, what has kicked up for us. So the first couple of weeks, Dan kicked us off, our, our lead pastor, Dan Meyer, and we've been ta- we talked about um, facing false gods as well as daring to live for that one true God. And the thing that stuck out to me from both of these sermons was the way that, uh, I guess Dan maybe was being the prophet in our lives in in some sense of just asking us and calling us, what do we orient our lives around? Um, What are those true things in our lives that... um, that we orient ourselves to in a way that either draw us closer to Jesus or in a way that are completely incompatible with the way of life he has called us to. So I'd be curious, what kicked up for you guys as you uh, listen to those or even as we're talking now? Yeah, the one the one thing that I keep going back to um, is from the, the second week. Um, it's the, a quote from G.K. Chesterton that Dan shared, and it says, when, we, when people stop worshiping God, they don't worship nothing, they worship anything. And I get so caught up in my life where I'm looking back over the last season and I think to myself, wow, I, I did a, um, you know, I, I wasn't as close to the Lord as I wanted to be. I wasn't worshiping as well as I wanted to be. And, and in my mind, I think like, oh, I, I just wasn't following after anything. Um, I wasn't worshiping anything. Um, but Chesterton's quote here points to that, the truth that when we stop worshiping God, um, we actually end up worshiping something else. We worship a, a false God, we worship an idol. And so for me that, that, you know, I end up putting my decisions first. I end up doing things that make me comfortable all the time. I, I sit in front of the TV or I do whatever, fill my time with all these other things that are not um, pushing me towards the Lord. And so that idea that um, we don't stop worshiping. Um, we stop worshiping the true God. Um, we, we end up worshiping other things. We put these idols in our lives. Um, and so that I keep keep sitting with um, because there there is a truth that we are created um, to be beings that worship and want to, to give back to our creator. Um, and when we aren't focusing on that, when we're not putting him first in our lives or when we, we think that we're just not worshiping um, our natural tendency to worship finds another subject to worship um and yeah so when when he shared that quote i was like oh wow that yeah there's there's a mirror aaron that that looks at my life right there so yeah i think that really resonated with me as well and that again that idea that we are we are creatures and as creatures we are created to worship you know the blaze pascal god-shaped whole idea um but I think one of the things that we get hung up, I see, there I go. I always make it somebody else's problem. Me. That's mine too. <laughs> Chris and I. The thing that Chris and I get hung up on is um, it might almost have to do with that word worship. Because I think, especially if you're somebody mm-hmm. who has um, grown up in the church or spent a lot of time in church circles, worship is a, a word that. We sometimes almost, I think, take the, the teeth out of a little mm-hmm. bit. You know, worship is what I do on Sunday morning when, you know, the choir is singing or the band is on stage and I'm praising. And and maybe if I've learned a little bit more, worship is, you know, is an extension of how I use, you know, my time and treasures. But I heard somebody, and again, it's funny how God will do this to you when he's messing with you. I was listening to a totally different teaching, which, of course, I don't remember who it was now. But and they were talking about this in the concept, context of discipleship, 
also. And that we are all, if you're not a disciple or a follower of Jesus, if you're not letting Jesus shape you, it doesn't mean you're not being shaped. It doesn't mm-hmm. mean you're not being discipled. You're being shaped or yeah. discipled by something else. And so I kind of put that thing, and I'm like, oh, so if I'm making the choice to not worship, to not be discipled or shaped by God, by a relationship with Jesus, it doesn't mean I, we're not like static. It doesn't mean I just sit here and go, oh, well, nothing's happening to me. I'm not changing. Like something else is going to move into that space or I'm going to allow something else into that space. And I think that's what happens with Ahab. You know, and I think Dan kind of brought out this point when, when, when King Ahab, who is the evil king of Israel, um, who were, we spent a lot of time talking about him so far, he marries this Jezebel, this, this woman from another, part of the the known world who is a worshiper of idols and he probably didn't invite her into his life going well that's what I'm going to let be the primary Mm -hmm. thing that shaped me because Ahab at least presumably started out as somebody who was aligned with with Yahweh with the one true God but he made the decision in inviting her in to let her take on that role of shaping him ultimately more than the truth of God's word. Yeah, that's really good. In, in the same line, Proverbs four twenty three says, "Above all else, guard your heart, because everything you do flows from it." And so that, you know, that idea that that we get, I get. Sorry, Chris and I get. Um, <laughs> it's just the two of us. I'm glad you guys are losing, leaving me out. It's great. <laughs> well, Suan, you do this all great. Um, I get lackadaisical often in guarding my heart from things that I don't feel are necessarily a threat to that. Um, and so there's there's just regular things in in the rhythm of my life that I don't feel are necessarily a threat to how I view the Lord or a threat to how I'm being discipled or shaped. I love that language, Chris. Um, And yet they are um, because I'm turning my attention from from the Lord and um, how he's working in my life to um, focusing on these other things um, or not focusing on him. Um, Yeah. Yeah, and sometimes those are really subtle things. You they're know, sometimes think, really good things. And sometimes yeah. they're really good things. I think anytime, for me, what it, one of the things that is kicked up with this is when I'm not intentional about uh, how I orient my heart, what I'm worshiping, right? And when I'm not intentional, I, I this might be a bad analogy, but I'm just going to say it anyway. I, I think sometimes when I, when I go to the gym, okay, when I walked into the gym and I don't have a plan for what I'm going to do that day for my workout, I just kind of wander around from thing to thing, you know? It's like, well, maybe I guess I'll do this. Maybe I'll have a little bit of this. Maybe I'll go over here. And then I leave and I'm thinking, well, I didn't really accomplish anything. I really didn't, didn't there, was, there was nothing really good or productive about that because when I went in, I didn't know what I was orienting myself to. I didn't have a plan. And I so often think of that in my walk with the Lord, my Christian life. It's like, when I'm not intentional, it's just too easy to just walk around and say, well, maybe I'll try a little of this or maybe I'll do a little bit of this. And before I know it, I'm just kind of all over the place. I'm not centered. I'm not grounded. Uh, I'm letting uh, some of the Jezebels in my life. That was the other thing that Dan talked about is who are the people in your life, those influencers who are coming in and and make, drawing you away from the thing that we know we were created for. Well, and I think with that too, um, it I, that I think we've both, all of us have kind of touched on that theme of like, the taking for granted, the potential like laziness. And I say this as somebody um, who has who's grown up in church life and 
And so it's really easy to assume that God is my number one because I don't have any problem saying I'm a Christian. I spend a lot of time within the walls of the church and with people who are church people. And those things also don't mean that I'm putting God first. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we are doing in our women's, uh, Women of Hope, which is our women's study here uh, that's hosted at Christ Church, we're doing the book of Hebrews. And it's funny, again, how, who would guess first and second Kings and Hebrews are going to collide against each other all the time. Um, But the study is called Better by Jen Wilkins. And literally, she takes the book of Hebrews and goes through how the author of Hebrews is convincing the the early Christians that Jesus is better than, and each week is a different better than, and at least at the beginning, they're all good things. Mm. He's better, you know, better than angels, better than the high priest, better than Moses. There's no not throwing those out, but we can elevate those other things. It might be the voice of a particular pastor or teacher. It might be you consume, and I'm guilty of this, piles of Christian books, but are but is God at the head of that? And I just think it, it can be real tricky because it's not always an obvious, air quotes for those of you who are listening, sin that takes the place of God either. It's good stuff. Yeah, it's so true and I think so important because um, it's really easy to get muddled in all of that and really uh, I think that's why it comes back. I think one of the questions Dan kept saying is, what is on the throne of your life? Who is on the throne of your life and how is that displayed? What is it that you worship? How do you orient your lives around that? And to really take a hard look of that um, because there's some things that might bubble up out of that that surprise us. Well, I, but I think, again, for me, I know that one of the things that I prioritize that's a good thing is my family and my, and my mm-hmm. family relationships and my children, and that that's a calling God has on my heart. But there are times when I know I have to take a hard look at where is that in relationship to my relationship with God. And that those are really tough things to, to untangle. Um, I think too. Uh, sorry to cut you off. No, no, please um, do. I, I think too, like from the outside, and sometimes I'll speak for myself. Sometimes I um, maybe look at myself more from an outside perspective, um, and so from the outside, Chris loving her family um, is a really good thing, right? Serving her family, and from the outside, you having your family as an idol versus you. Um, serving the Lord first and loving your family, those two might not look different for somebody looking at you from the outside. But really what the difference is, is in your heart, what is the motive for caring for your family? Is it because you love your family first and foremost, or is it because you love the Lord and want to um, steward your family and grow your family and and learn from your family um, to give God the glory for that? And so there's... there's um, you know, it's, I often catch myself thinking like, oh, I'm doing, you know, family, whatever the good idol is that I've found in my life, it's, it, it doesn't look that, that different from an outside perspective or from, um, at a glance, if, if you will. Um, but it's really the, where your heart is at, um, as you're engaging with, with those things. Does that make any sense oh, at totally. all? Oh, totally. And it's funny because as you're saying that, I'm getting ready to do one of those things where we're not going to go in order. <laughs> But it like zooms me forward to the story that we come to, we just had this last week with Charlie Browning, where 
Elijah has had this this what looks like a great it is doesn't just look like a great success he's you know called on God the one true God who has you know shown that Baal is is false and he's called down the fires burns up the the sacrifice and it's all good and then Elijah runs away and and runs far far away to hide from Jezebel but part of what's going on there is that I think Elijah's agenda has gotten a little mixed up and he's kind of forgotten he's he's been professing belief and faith in the one true God and he, and he does have that but for a moment there I think his his eyes have shifted and all of a sudden he's like well I'm the only one in all of Israel who serves God and I and I think that's that can happen to all of us, and I think in God's mercy, He shows us those moments. and And so there's there's going to be sometimes probably almost a, a back and forth where we are placing God in His rightful place, and then our own pride, our own plans, our own agenda get tangled up, and something goes a little bit awry, and all of a sudden we're like, "Wait, but me, I thought this way," and that secondary thing that maybe, and it exposes the secondary thing. Yeah. So again, if you're if my family is being elevated above God and something goes a little sideways with my family, I think that's sometimes God maybe is showing me, hey, hmm. keep me up here, and this is your family, and we'll work with that. But you know, keep me in my rightful place instead of being devastated when when things go sideways in what I don't realize has become elevated above mm. God. Yeah, and I think what's so interesting about that piece of the story is, you know, if we back up, um, what happened right before that story in terms of Elijah was on this, like had this an amazing experience with the Lord when he's on Mount Carmel and they, you know, they just had this showdown with all the other prophets of Baal and it goes back to the context of the story where um the king at the time was leading people to worship Baal. And so all the people were worshiping Baal. Elijah felt like he was the only one still worshiping the one true God. And so they have this showdown between these two altars and they get 450 prophets together, prophets of Baal uh, on top of this mountain. And Elijah challenges them and says, okay, we're going to build two altars and we're going to uh, you know, get a bull and we're going to sacrifice and uh, we're going to ask God to call down the fire. And whoever's fire, whoever's altar lights, whoever um, gets the fire from the Lord, that's the one who is serving their true God. And so uh, Elijah, it's kind of funny, the story, actually, I was just rereading it this morning and to see Elijah taunt these prophets Mm -hmm. of Baal, where he's like, oh, is that, you know, they start praying and praying for fire to come down, and Elijah's like, oh, that's all the louder you can do it? Like, come on, that's all you got? And so they do more and more, and then Elijah just in this, like, kind of... uh, I don't know, like, you know, puff up his chest kind of way, uh, douses his altar with water three times. He builds a trench around it. There's all this water. And he says, now watch what my God can do. And God lights that fire. It was like an impossible thing that could only happen uh, with this um, divine intervention, this miracle of the Lord. And and so what's so interesting is, is Elijah had that experience. And then uh, Jezebel's like, well, now I really want to kill you. And so then he just drops into the experience that you're talking about where he's discouraged and, and he um, he questions God, he doubts, right? And so it's so interesting how fickle we are. And I love that Charlie asked that question, like, 
Charlie confessing, like, sometimes I feel that way, but are there people, like, is that, maybe I don't have real faith. Like, are there people with real faith who feel this way? And we see that in the story of Elijah. And so it's so interesting. It goes back again. Even what we consider the greatest among us, the people we're reading about in the scripture, they are heroes of the faith, struggle. Um, Their hearts can get really out of line really fast because of the other things that enter into our life, the doubt, the discouragement, um, how we orient our hearts, where we're at, our sin. And so I just think that's one of the most interesting things about that juxtaposition is the context that Elijah finds himself in from from seeing God do a miracle and then going to the pits of despair. Yeah, I um, I don't, I haven't spent the time to study this, um, but I do wonder, like, because when you read about Elijah taunting the prophets of Baal, it just feels like a little uncomfortable to me. <laughs> yeah. You know? Like, did God really authorize him to do that? So that's that, where I think, mm-hmm. I wonder if there's, uh, again, haven't studied this, need to. Um, <laughs> I wonder if there's if there's some level of um, responsible reading the text to, to wonder, was Elijah's quote-unquote performance on Mark Carmel, was who was on the throne of his life at that mm. point? Was it him? Because it feels like the story reads a lot easier if if he's put himself in God's throne in his life. Um, and God still said, I'm still going to show these people who I am. And that then makes that juxtaposition almost, um, not almost, it makes it relatable in my life to say, even the times that God has delivered me and I haven't put him or I haven't noticed the fullness of him um, working in my life because I've put myself on a pedestal above him, that creates an even deeper level of fickleness um, mm. for me to then drop into despair or discouragement, even though God just did something for me, even though God just proved his faithfulness to me, his power to me, his love to me. Um, just next day, you know, I can easily drop into it and for, forget the, the power of that. Um, so yeah, don't know if that's a accurate reading of, of that, but that's kind of where I've been sitting with over the last couple of weeks thinking about that. Well, and I think it, that kind of fits for me a little bit too, because I, it feels like part of his reaction is, you know, God showed himself clearly mm-hmm. to be God in that situation. And not only did he bring down the fire to burn up the sacrifice, but then he brought the rain to a land that had been suffering from drought for three years yeah. to these 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 people who had gone astray. And he didn't when the rain when the fire came down and destroyed the or burned up the sacrifice. People did fall down and said, "Oh, Yahweh, He is the true God." But Ahab wasn't struck dead. Um, there were a lot of other things that maybe I'm wondering if maybe Elijah was like, "Oh, well, like now this will stick." You know, Ahab's going to become a godly king. Jezebel's going to realize who the one true God is, and so I sometimes wonder if, if God showing He was God in that moment didn't quite meet Elijah's expectations mm. of a full-on return of the nation to being, you know, a God-fearing, law-abiding place, and if that, again, He'd kind of cast His own plan his own vision mm-hmm. on what he thought would happen as a result of God showing himself to be God and it didn't. Jezebel still wanted to kill him and he's running away and so I, I do think that's another one of those little nuances of when we kind of superimpose our plan or our agenda 
on God's plan. And then, and this, this gets at Terabeth's sermon about what do we do when mm-hmm. the, when God's plan and our plan don't, aren't the same or, you know, it's like, Oh wait, I thought they were overlapping and all of a sudden now God's turned the page and I'm still here. or I was ready to turn the page and God's keeping me here. And so I wonder if that's part of his reaction too. And if so, that is also so relatable to me yeah. because how easy is it to put God foremost and praise him when our plans line up. And then when something doesn't, it's like that reveals my humanity, me, my humanity and my, um, that I haven't fully surrendered and put my, my laid my plans at his feet and gone, okay, they're your plans. Yeah. You know, and I hadn't fully made that connection. It's so good because we've been talking about who is on the throne of our lives. Um, so good the way you guys just put those pieces together, but gosh, when our expectations and our plans don't go how we kind of think they're going to go, that's probably one of the quickest ways for us to realize who actually we think is on mm-hmm. the throne of our lives because I don't think any of us do very well when our plans don't go as we expected. What are you talking about, Suman? <laughs> I do awesome when that happens. <laughs> Absolutely I know Aaron not. Does Chris thrives. I thrive in situations of chaos. discomfort and chaos. I was thinking that actually on my way here because, and I think I shared this with you guys before we started recording, it's like that laying down of our expectations, it happens in the, you know, Tara Beth told a great story about how it happened in a pretty major time in her life with transition and job change and the loss of her father and even where they were living. And so we know that it happens in those big moments in our lives. It's easy to say, golly, like I thought my family was going to look this way, or I thought I was going to be married by a certain age or have kids, or I thought my job was going to be a certain way, or um, I was going to live in this certain house. Like when those big things I think don't work out, it's easy to understand the discouragement and the disappointment, I think in a way that maybe sometimes we lose in the little things when our day just doesn't go as planned. You know what I mean? I, I was on the way here this morning and I was telling Eric there, uh, we have our weekend planned and someone asked me to do something that was going to throw a monkey wrench in my plan for the weekend. And I kind of have important plans for the weekend, at least in my mind. Like I had my time. One of my idols in my life, I think, is my time and how I want my time to go. I structure my time in a way that uh, is important to me. And so when things interrupt, when I have carved out time for specific things, I have to really check myself. And, and this particular circumstance was helping someone else. It was like helping someone who needed something that is not a big deal. But in, if I'm going to say yes to it, I got to change my plan. And I was driving here this weekend thinking, what a horrible person I am. <laughs> that, what a this human morning, person that, you are. But isn't that the truth that... Um, that sometimes it's harder in the little things, I think, to lay down our expectations and go, oh my gosh, I really, who is on the throne in the everyday moment-to-moment uh, moments? <laughs> well, I think the, the pendulum swing is like, well, I, I don't, like, is it worth making my own plans, right? Um, and there is there is health to planning. There is health to having a, a line yes, there is. to, yeah, um, align it in an understanding of where to go, where you want to go, Um where you what you're going to do this weekend that's great um of course um but it 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 does sh- it does show where we're at um when those things do get shifted and do we have open hands are we willing to wait um for the lord to to show us what what 
his plan is or to lead us to um, a different um, perspective of our plan that, that gets what we need in a way that we don't um, we don't see in the first hand. Um, but I think, yeah, there's there's so much in the day to day that if we can stop and look back at it, like you're saying, small, small moment, small weekend plans, maybe or major weekend plans. But um, like even in the, the mundane, there's little things that that rub us um, that show. Yeah, like you're saying, where where we're at, where do we have um, priority? Where are we placing our our um, yeah, wh- who's on the throne of, of our lives there? Yeah, yeah, and where our idols are, because part of again going back to part of the prophet's job, right, was to um, when they saw people worshiping or um, uh, elevating idols, right. To, part of the prophet's job was to cast those things out, and so it's like, how do we? I don't know. Can we be our own prophet in our own life to do that? And who do we need? And this was part of one of Dan's sermons, also. Who do we need in our lives to come in? when we do need to be uh, have some s- truth spoken into us to point us in the right direction. Who are those prophets in our own lives? Do we allow them to speak truth to us? Do we allow ourselves to be open to that, uh, to be willing and available to listen? I know that's hard for me. I would say, yes, of course I do that until someone actually comes to me and tells me something that they think that I need to redirect my life about or change about myself. And then all of a sudden it doesn't sound like such a good idea anymore. Yeah. Or that defensiveness that just, you know, even a small thing that, you know, a family member points out and my initial reaction is, well, to justify myself, Mm -hmm. you know, well, no, there's a reason. And if you knew the reason, then you would understand why I did it that way or why I act that way or why, you know, this is my way that I respond to those type of situations. And so definitely don't, don't always receive it gracefully. I think for me, because the, the second part of that question that Dan posed in his sermon was, okay, how, you know, who are the prophets in your life that are there to speak God's truth to you and redirect you? But then might you also be called to function as a prophet in someone else's life to speak truth to them? And that's the one where I'm going, heck no. (laughs) You know, I, because I am very uncomfortable. I'm an Enneagram 9. I don't like conflict. I like people to like me. And I know that I, there are times when I have been meant to not, in, well, I'm going to say not in huge ways, but we've just said it's the little daily things that matter as much as the huge things. I know there are times when I don't do that because I don't want to run the risk of being unlikable, of um, being kind of shunned in a situation. Even, you know, sometimes with my own kids, there have been times when I just don't want to call out a small behavior because it will upset the apple cart and it will be easier for me to manage something else to make that not happen. Um, so I would be a horrible prophet, and I can't imagine how Elijah did it. Well, no wonder he crawled under a broom bush yeah. and asked to die. What's well, funny as you as you say that, I'm thinking like the one of the. I'm also an Enneagram Nine, so um, don't come to Chris or I if, <laughs> if you need you're truth telling. That's why I invited you two here because yeah. I know you're going to just let me skate so, Anne, by. You're, with you're doing anything. great. Yeah, awesome. your life is is amazing altogether. Um, but one of the reasons I tell myself to not engage in that way is because I think about how I would receive it if somebody did it for me. Um, and so it's like this cycle of like, oh, I'm going to receive it. I would receive that in a really broken and defensive way. Um, so then I assume that about the other person and then it's like, it's not worth me 
getting into it. Um, it's not worth me offering that because I do not see how, I, or rather, I don't trust the Lord to use that conversation um, or guide me in that conversation um, to use it for his glory, to use it to be a fruitful tool um, for shaping that person, but maybe even more so shaping myself in that as well. Mm. Well, and I th- think of Elijah. I mean, certainly God was using Elijah to to shape Ahab and to shape the nation of Israel, but clearly Elijah was being shaped by that yeah. call on his yeah. life Noah, and his response yes. to it. Mm-hmm. And that's true. I mean, if, if you look throughout the people that God used throughout the story of scripture, you know, the people that he was calling to do things for him, he was shaping them and molding them in the process. And so I guess to that point then, when we don't respond to that call, we are we are denying God an opportunity. I mean, God can do whatever he wants, but mm-hmm. we are missing out on the opportunity to be shaped by whether receiving the prophecy of someone else or prophesying God's truth into somebody else's life, we miss out if we don't do it. Mm, that's a good that's a good perspective. I mean, because if you think about it, no one liked the prophets. I mean, the prophets <laughs> were no one's people. favorite, right? They were not popular Here comes people. Elijah. <laughs> <laughs> Steer clear him, yeah. if you imagine. Um, but I, I think one thing that we need to remember is we talk about like our context today because you know we're not necessarily modern day prophets, but called to speak into one another's lives is it always has to be rooted in love, right? It always has to be rooted in grace. It always has to be rooted in, I think, going back to that question of what is my motive behind sharing this with this person? Why Why do I feel like I need to be the one to correct them or point this out or speak truth into their lives? And, and, and sometimes we do need to be the one, but I think asking ourselves what our motive is behind that, is it just so that I feel better? Is it just because I want them to know that they're getting it wrong? Or is God on the throne of our life in a way that we are actually going to them in a way that we are humbly knowing that God is going to use our words or trusting him to use our words to shape the life of that person because he loves them and he cares for them. And it's this context of this mutual submission and relationship and grace and humility that we're called to live out with one another. And we see that throughout the New Testament. One of the things too, as you're saying that, is um, maybe maybe you're like I I feel like I am equipped to do this, and I do this often, and I never feel like anything changes because of that. The words that I say, basically, it doesn't feel like God's using the words um, to make any changes. Um, and one of the things that that um, Dan talked about is these continual repair attempts that mm-hmm. God offers humanity, that God offers His children, um, and time and time again we do our best to reject them, right? We're like, no thanks, we've got it. Um, but what does it look like to follow that um, that example of modeling um, behavior, modeling these re- repair attempts in our relationships time and time again, even though um, we don't feel like there's, there's growth, even though we don't feel like um, we're seeing the fruit of the words necessarily, um, we can be we can be confident that God is is shaping us and the people around us, the people that experience that, that witness that um, through the the repeated repair attempt, that model of of continuing to go back to to try to repair or try to um, uh, yeah share share and engage in that way. And I think it takes so much discernment, right, to know when we're being called 
to be the prophet in someone's life and when we're calling to make the repair attempt. Mm. And sometimes they're one and the same, and I'm not saying they're not, but some of the examples Dan gave, I mean, they just cut, this was the piece, and you know, as I listened to this whole sermon series, this piece that I probably caught me more than anything else is, there are times where we can speak truth and there's other times where we extend grace mm-hmm. when we can speak truth in an attempt to make a repair. Yeah, and it's those li- those little things in relationships where, yeah, maybe we're justified in um, whatever it is we want to say or set the record straight or you know we want that other person to make right. And other times we're called to let it go, to extend mm-hmm. grace, to even when we're the ones that are wounded, we're the ones to reach out and extend that olive branch, whether it's in our marriage or with our kids or in our, with our work relationships. And I think discerning those two things when we're called to which, um, I mean, that's a tricky, yeah, that's, that's a tricky really thing. Yeah. Well, and I, th- I think to your point, they, they may very well go hand in hand because how do you get a voice into somebody's life if there isn't relationship there in the first place, you know. Again, in in the Old Testament narrative, there are some unique situations, you know, where God takes somebody like Jonah and, you know, throws him on a ship and in a whale and sends him off to Nineveh, a place where he has no relationship, and calls him to speak truth to the people there because God had a very specific plan. But I think more often than not, those places where we are going to have the ability to speak, to prophesy, to speak God's truth into somebody's life are in our daily relationships. And so if they are if we are not in a a place of maintaining and repairing those relationships, mm-hmm. those those opportunities to then speak truth, to prophesy into somebody's life are are not going to go well because God, I mean, Jesus modeled this for us so perfectly in the way he served his disciples and the way he served people who rejected him in the sacrifice on the cross. I mean, he did that with a handful of people who were actually following him and believing in him, and he did it for everyone. He made that first step. And had Jesus not died on the cross, would his his voice, his message of truth have had the impact that it has? I don't think, I mean, first of all, that was God's plan, but I don't think it would have because God took that step of moving towards us, of moving towards sinful humanity so that we could hear the word of truth that follows it and that had been there all along. But I think a lot of times we need that grace-filled movement in order to receive the truth. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, absolutely. And I think all of us have been changed by an act of grace who someone mm-hmm. has extended us in our lives mm-hmm. when we didn't deserve it. You know, we didn't, we didn't think we should be the recipients of it, and yet that's as transformative sometimes as speaking the hard word of truth. And again, it sounds like I'm not saying we should ever speak the hard, it sounds like I'm saying we shouldn't speak the hard word of truth, but I think those things just um, sometimes go hand in hand, and sometimes, you know, we just have to know the right thing to do. Well, my friends, we're about out of time, and so I just want to touch on two more quick things probably briefly although the last question is not an easy question to say briefly Um, but I I think the other thing I just want to point out that Dan I thought did such a great job with is reminding us and I started our conversation this way is remembering that we have influence all Mm -hmm. of us remembering that we all hold positions of power um, and authority in other people's lives, whether those are pos- positional pieces of authority by you know our role in a certain sphere or whether that's just how we move and live throughout our being. And 
part of Elijah's role in this time in history was he was using his influence away. And we see the kings that were using their influence in non-helpful, good ways, and Elijah using his influence in a good way, in the way that this scripture and this text continually calls us to look at those spaces in our lives and say, especially because, you know, people listening today, we have so many influencers and leaders and our, our church context is just filled with people who are in positions to do good and to use their influence for good. And so I just, I don't want that to get lost in all of this that I thought Dan's call for that was um, just so profound. Yeah. Well, and I think it's important, again, that each one of us, no matter who you are, where you are, is in a position of influence. Mm-hmm. That is that is who we were created to be as image bearers of God. And with the new covenant after Jesus, you know, we are a royal priesthood. And so that it's important to look and evaluate our leaders based on, you know, those criteria. But I don't think I think it's easy to pass it off and go, Oh yeah, what a horrible president, what a horrible CEO, what a horrible looking at leadership on the outside, but we've got to recognize each and every one of us. I don't I don't care who you are. You are in some role of influencing another person and stewarding that influence in a way that is pleasing to God is really important. And I think we can easily, it's so easy to look at, at the outside and say, oh yeah, mm-hmm. they're doing it wrong. We're like, okay, hard pause. How am I shepherd? And we still have to do that, but how am I shepherding my stewarding my influence it does feel like we're in a season of the world of history where people are thirsty for to be influenced um and so that goes in all directions right um and so what does it look like for us to to rely on the the power of the spirit to use us as vessels to to be um a healthy influence for the people around us who are who are ready and willing and open to be to be influenced um to that end yeah it's good stuff good stuff well just one final question before we wrap up our time and you guys have already been sharing a lot today and so i did pre-warn you about this but it still might feel like i'm putting you on the spot because one of the things we are doing at deeper still uh this season and we'll do beyond is just i'm asking all my guests how God is calling them in the present space and place they are in in their own lives. How is he calling you to go deeper still right now? Chris first. Oh, you're funny, Aaron. (laughs) See, this is what happens when you put the two of us together. I defer to you. You know, I am wrestling with this one because um, I'm in a season where I feel like things keep getting disrupted just a little bit. Not huge plans, not big plans, but, you know, oh, grand intentions. This is going to be the week when... I get all my ducks in a row. Talk about, you know, making an idol of my preparation and my planning. That is definitely something I struggle with. And so I think, I don't think I know that God is calling me to go deeper still in in asking me to not disregard those disruptions, but to respond to him in spite of them. And again, we're talking about not, these are not big things. These are little inconveniences that I let allow me to to be thrown off rhythms of prayer rhythms of worship rhythms of quiet time it doesn't take much with me by the way I'm not a very disciplined person unlike a lot of other people in my house Um, and so I make a lot of excuses for that and I I think I know that God is kind of done he's saying all right no no more excuses no more excuses. When when are you going to really commit and 
and put me above your comfort, above your plans, above your schedules, above your response to those things and say, okay, it doesn't, it doesn't matter that, you know, somebody got called out of sick out of school or that something got canceled. How are you respond to me in spite of that or because of that? Mm. That's good. Thanks for sharing that. Next week for sure, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> this is my problem. Promise, God. Yes, yes, I'll do that. No, thanks Aaron, for sharing. Just about? let me take a nap this afternoon yeah, first yeah, to get yeah. ready for it. <laughs> this is just Aaron's way of not answering the question. Yeah, how many more comments can I make on it? <laughs> um, no, I think for me, um, I think I'm, yeah, God's, I'm trying to frame it in the question, but I'm not going to do a great job, so I'm just going to go on without it. Um, something about how is God calling me to be, to be deeper, goes deeper still. Um, I'm recognizing that um, I am creating my own expectations of what the fruit of um, the Lord working in me will look like. Um, and so this is kind of the, it, it kind of harkens back to what we've been talking about. What are our expectations? What are our um you know, what are our hopes and plans around that? And so I think that I've created um, a false expectation of what the Lord will do through me or how the Lord will use me. Um, and when I don't see that happening around me, um, I get confused or frustrated or discouraged probably mostly. Um, and so recognizing that it's my own um, I'm applying to to God what I think he should be doing in my life, um, which is not accurate, <laughs> apparently. Um, so don't know exactly how that answers your question in the frame of the question, but calling me to grow deeper still in trusting him and waiting on him to um, show me, um, yeah, more accurately than me guessing or, or applying um, what he's doing in my life to my life, if that makes sense. Makes great sense. Friends, thank you both so much for just being willing to dive into some scripture, to share what God is doing in your life, to share how he is calling you uh, to go deeper still, and hopefully providing a little bit of framework as the people listening, the people that we uh, go to church with and, and worship with each and every week, how we're processing this together. Hopefully it's given them a little bit of space and a little bit of courage to maybe uh, share something with someone or process or ask that extra question to God about how he wants them to go deeper still as well. So thanks so much, both of you, for being here today. Thanks for having us. Thanks for hosting. It's always fun. Well, friends, thanks for allowing us into your kitchen or your car or maybe taking us for a walk with you today. I know we jumped around to a lot of different topics, a lot of different things, but hopefully that's a good thing because I hope that we just whet your appetite just a little bit so that you were encouraged to go deeper into God's word, to allow it to speak to you, to challenge you, and ultimately to transform who you are. Well, if you've missed any of the sermons we've been talking about, or maybe you want to re-listen to one or share it with a friend, you can visit us at Christchurch.us or download the Christchurch Connect app, and you'll find all of our sermon series there, as well as the Deeper Style podcast. I do hope you'll share today's episode with a friend, and as always, if you don't have a church home, maybe consider joining us for a Sunday morning worship service. We'll be continuing this sermon series for the next few weeks. Weeks, and so you can dive in. And of course, we'd love to have you join us. 
Lastly, just a quick reminder that our churchwide serve day called For Chicago Lamb is coming up Saturday, October 22nd. And we will be serving in our communities all over the western suburbs of Chicago as well as in the city. We're just going to roll up our sleeves and be the hands and feet of Jesus. So if you haven't signed up for a project yet, or maybe you want to invite a friend along, be sure to do that. There is still some time. Well, friends, thanks again for joining us. Be sure to join us again next week for another great conversation. But in the meantime, don't forget to pay attention to how God might be calling you to go deeper still. Deeper still.